You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio. Did you know Shelly and I have a dog? That was a joke. Um, we have a golden doodle named London, and um, I know that is annoying for some people because London gets a lot of airtime in our world, and I'm just acknowledging what others of you already feel, which is great, you have a golden doodle, that's awesome. But uh, she really is awesome, and if you got to know her, you would really love her. Shelly and I spent an hour and a half yesterday, no exaggeration, talking to people we did not know and did not necessarily want to be talking to because London is a magnet and people want to touch her, they want to talk to her, they want to feel her fur, they want to know where she came from and where we got her, and thank goodness she has her own Instagram account, and I know that's a little annoying also. (laughs) And at the end of the 20 minutes when we're ready to move on to lunch, we just say, hey, if you want to know more about our dog, it's uh, London Doodle. You can follow her on Instagram. She has her own Instagram? I know, it's sad, but it's true. (laughs) London's half-sister, Paris, belongs to Courtney and John and their family, so we're trying to cover all the European cities. But she's named after London, England, a place that we absolutely love. Are there any London, England fans at Passion City Church today? Anybody been to London, England? Anybody ridden the London Eye? Anybody seen the Big Ben in Parliament? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's us. We love London. We were at a coffee shop recently. I'm just checking your London knowledge. Near Seven Dials. Anybody? In the Covent Garden area. Best coffee on planet Earth right there on that little street. Does anybody know where I'm talking about? Well, if you know London and you know coffee, you know exactly the place I'm talking about. We went there for the first time, Shelly and myself, in 1988, and we've been back on average multiple times every year since then. In some years, we would have been in London four, five, six times in a year. Maybe the odd year, we didn't make it to London that year, but that's very rare for us. And one of our ideas early on was this. We love this city. We want to get to know this city. So every time we come, we're going to stay in a different area of the city, in a little different nook or a different cranny, walk those streets, get to know that neighborhood. Maybe you've got a city like that in your mind. Maybe for you, it's Tifton, Georgia, and you're thinking, every time I go to Tifton, I want to stay on the other side of the interstate. Um, I want to stay, you know, in a little bit different zone. But for us, it was different areas of town. I just wrote a few of them down. We've stayed early on around Victoria train station. That was cheap, and we were with college students doing mission projects in those years, 88, 89, 90. So we knew that area well. We've stayed in South Kensington, the real Kensington. We've stayed in Sloan Square, in St. John's Wood, West End, Covent Garden, Knightsbridge, Kensington, the real one. I mentioned that. Hyde Park in the Financial District. We've stayed in Canary Wharf. We've been 
in a lot of the neighborhoods. We have friends that live in Chelsea, friends that live in Putney, friends that live in Watford. So not just hotels, but getting out and seeing where actual people live and seeing what neighborhoods are like. If we were there and you said, I want good Chinese food, I'd go, I know right where we're going to go. I wouldn't need an app. I wouldn't even need to take my phone out. I don't need to ask a driver or a concierge. I would just take you to the best Chinese food in London. I know how to get there like the back of my hand. I know where the best avocado toast is. I mentioned I know where the best coffee is the best Indian curry, the best little Italian place in London. I know. I know the best Japanese restaurant, the best sushi. I know the best high tea in London. I know the best donut. I know London because for 31 years, we've been dividing it up and slicing it up and taking little bite-sized chunks of it and chewing them up. I've spoken in the O2 arena. I preached at St. Paul's Cathedral. We've done passion events in Hammersmith Apollo and at Wembley Arena. I haven't met the queen yet, but um, (laughs) your majesty, if you're watching this on the passion website after the fact, we would like to meet you and we'll meet you at Buckingham Palace or at Balmoral or at Windsor or a place of your choosing, let us know, we'll show up in the moment. You did wave to us once as you and Prince Philip came down the road that day you were opening parliament after that long drawn out election that took four days to resolve and you waved to Shelley and me standing right there as we were across from Downing Street. So we'd love to meet you. One thing we haven't done yet in London, but we know London. We haven't exhausted central London by any stretch. But man, we've come to know London so much so that we named our golden doodle after the city that we love. And you've got to have a city like that, don't you? Or a sports team like that, or a skill set like that, that where a lot of us could comment, you could do the deep dive because you've sliced it and diced it and chewed on it and investigated and you've come to truly know that thing that you love Well, here's what I want to have happen over the next few weeks. I want you and I to awaken to the possibility of knowing the Almighty like that. Because here's the big idea. If there is a God of infinite greatness, and if he is inviting you to come and know him intimately, then there is nothing in your life more valuable or more rewarding than your full-on pursuit of knowing him. And I believe these are the two most important things about you and about me. Number one, God wants to be known by you. And number two, you can know as much about him as you have the appetite and the desire to know. In other words, there's never going to be a moment in your pursuit of God where there's a sign that says, authorized personnel only beyond this point. You can go as high up on the mountain as you want to go. This all started percolating for me when I was a high school student. I had a mentor whom many of you know named Dan DeHaan. I mentioned him a lot in my teachings, and he was a big influence on Andy and myself and all of us in our youth group growing up in Atlanta through high school years and into our early college years. He wrote a book that was published in 1982 called The God 
you can know. And Dan modeled this with every ounce of his life. In fact, Dan went to heaven in a plane crash shortly after this book was released. In fact, literally the first day I saw the book in his kitchen on the counter, having arrived from the publisher, was the day that I arrived at his house to be with his family when it was discovered that his plane had gone down in the mountains of North Alabama and that he was gone. But before Dan left earth, he instilled something in a lot of us and what he instilled in us was that there is a God who's bigger than our wildest imagination who is inviting us to come and know him. This was clarified for me, and I've told the story so many times at Passion City Church and in Passion um, settings. I won't tell it again today, but it was clarified for me a few years before Dan died. I was a student at Georgia State. I would say what year in school I was, but I was there so long that years kind of get uh, a little bit fuzzy. I'm not sure if it was my second sophomore year or my third sophomore year, uh, but one of those sophomore years at Georgia State, I talked my mom and dad into letting me take the family car on a weeks-long drive around America camping in our nation's national parks. And the day that we were in Canada now driving back south across the border into Seattle and then out to Mount Rainier was going to be a high-water moment for me because in my geography class at Georgia State University, I had studied Mount Rainier, aced the exam on Mount Rainier, and I pretty much knew everything about this mountain. And I was traveling with a friend, Johnny Mosier. He knew nothing about Mount Rainier. I hadn't tipped him off that he was driving or riding with a certified expert on Mount Rainier. I was going to wait till we got up to Paradise Point, 5,000 feet, the highest place you can go in a car, parked and walked out to see the mountain to let him have the lowdown on all of my scoop on Mount Rainier. But that day absolutely went sideways for me when I collapsed into an emotional heap of tears standing in front of this mountain, and I never got my speech out. The next night in a tent in Coos Bay, Oregon, by myself around midnight, I was staring up at the tent, having this internal conversation with God, and I was just saying, what in the world was yesterday about? And God was speaking back into my heart, Louis, you learned something powerful yesterday. You learned the difference between knowing a lot about something and truly knowing something. You came here with information, but yesterday you got a little glimpse of revelation. And in that moment and in that tent as a college student, God made it uber clear to me that I had a choice in my life. I could be a person who knew about God, or I could take up the invitation to truly know God. Raised in a great church from birth, sitting under the best expository preacher of our generation, Charles Stanley, I had so much that had been poured into me about God. And I did have experiences with God along the way, but I had so much information. When I went to grad school and seminary, walked to the door, I was like, are you kidding me? I feel like I've already been to seminary. I've been listening to Charles Stanley preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night all of my life up to this point. I mean, we were real Christians back then. We went to church multiple times a week and heard different messages every time we went. So I had a lot of knowledge of God. But what God wanted to clarify that night, what Dan had instilled in me as a role model and what God is inviting us all to today is there 
is an opportunity for you and me, and it is to move past simply the information about God, to invite God to give us revelation sight through the eyes of our heart, like Paul talks about, to truly, intimately know God. And that invitation is on the table for you right now. You say, well, how how does that happen? How how do we come to know this almighty God? How do we get to know him? Well, obviously, we come through the word of God, and we come through the person of Jesus Christ who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We come with the aid of the Holy Spirit, but the way we come to know God is similar to the way you come to know New York City or Tokyo or London or whatever your specialty is in life. You come to know God by discovering his attributes. And an attribute of God, as A.W. Tozer says, is anything that God has revealed as true about himself. In other words, it's not just the whole But you understand that we know God because he reveals himself. That's the only reason we know God. And God reveals himself by the attributes of himself that he shows us. I'll give us an easy example. God is love. We find this in scripture in 1 John. And so we know that God isn't some nebulous force of energy in the cosmos, that he actually is a God of emotion and one of the guiding emotions of God or maybe the guiding emotion of God is love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And the quintessential definition, and God demonstrated his love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when you look into the love of God, you meditate on the love of God, you stare long into the love of God, you drink in the love of God, you study across scripture the love of God, you see it fleshed out in Christ, the love of God, then you come to know one of the attributes of God, which is that God is love, not a little emotion. Well, I I think God loves me, and that's awesome, and I love God too. No, I'm gonna gonna study his love. I'm gonna turn the, the heart of God until I see the facet of this attribute of God, his love, and I'm gonna hang out in that place until I begin to know that attribute of God. And then I'm gonna look for another attribute of God and then another attribute of God and then another attribute of God. And as I look and look and look into the attributes of God, now I'm beginning to truly know God. I won't exhaust the attributes of God because he's infinite, but I will come to intimately know God through discovering his attributes, and I will know him more. It's like if I ask the question today, show of hands, how many of you know that we have a professional soccer team in Atlanta? Show of hands, real high. Now, I don't want one of these halfway hands. I'm up here preaching my heart out, and somebody's like, yeah, oh, yeah, no, you're gonna come all the way up here. Thank you so much. How many of you know that we have a professional soccer team in Atlanta? Show of hands. Thank you, Cumberlands, gotcha. Okay, how many of you know the name of our team? Okay. Just gonna pick you right here with the glasses and the chewing gum and the vest. (laughs) The Atlanta United, all right, very good, very good. How many of you knew our team was called the Atlanta United? Show of hands, 
All right. How many of you knew that the Atlanta United won the MLS championship last year? Awesome. How many of you knew that we did that under the leadership of an amazing, globally respected coach that we affectionately refer to as Tata? Okay, we're losing a few people. How many of you know that Tata has gone and we have a new coach? And his name is? Oh, thank you so much. A little show off down here in row five. But a lot of us are starting to fall off the back of the wagon. So let me get us back. How many of you know who the star of the show was for our team last year, the leading scorer in the MLS? His name is Joseph Martinez. See there? A lot of you are like, I haven't followed it that close. I know we have a team, but I can't name a lot of the players. How many of you know now that we have two Martinez's on board? We got the South American Player of the Year now stepping in, and so we got Double Barrel Martinez that's coming at you next year, and we're going to be unstoppable. How many of you know how many uh, players are on a field at one time on a soccer team? Yeah, see. See, there's someone, oh, but we all know the Atlanta United, (laughs) but there's someone in the room right now, and you're like, call on me, call on me, pick me. Do you see me over here? Pick me, because I know that we just announced our new kit. I know the jersey number of every player. I know uh, everything about our record last year, and I can tell you uh, when our first game is, and I know all the stuff. Pick me. Everybody said that they knew Atlanta United, but they didn't really know Atlanta United. I really know Atlanta United. But then I was talking to a person the other day, and they were giving me all these statistics, and I was like, man, how do you know all that about United? I mean, how, how do you know that? They, 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 they're like you. They know the history of the spike and why we rally around the spike. They know where the five stripes came from. They know it all. But I said, but man, the atmosphere is amazing. And the person said to me, it floored me. They said, well, I, I've never actually been to a game in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I was like, you know all the facts, but you haven't done the clap? Unless you're doing it like in your living room. See, you can know United. Then you can know United. Then you can know everything about United. But then you can go and experience a United game and say, oh, yeah, I got season tickets. And then I say, oh, that's fantastic. Have, have you met any of the players? Do you know any of their families? Have you ever been on the sideline during a game? Have you ever been in the locker room with the team? Have you ever traveled with them to an away game? Were you with them the last few weeks in California in their preseason workouts? See, there's so many different ways to know something. And what God is inviting us into today is to not settle with, I know God. Well, what do you know about him? Well, I'll tell you. You're talking about attributes. Well, I got some attributes for you. God is love. (laughs) You know, we just passed Valentine's Day, and if you had a Valentine, if you didn't, I'm sorry I brought it up. But if you have a Valentine, I know it's like the worst holiday they've ever invented unless you have a Valentine. And if you have a Valentine, and I said to you about your Valentine, what do you love most about your Valentine? And you said, well, he's sweet. 
And I waited for a moment and I said, okay, but anything else? Yeah, I like that he's tall. He's tall and sweet. Dear, I wish I had the music. Dear Valentine, thank you for being tall and sweet. Amanda. No, if you have a Valentine and I said, what do you love about them? You might ask back, how much time do you have? Like, do you want one thing? Do you want one of the main things? Do you want the thing I was thinking about today? Or would you like a four-hour list of things? The way he looks, the way he treats our kids, the way he walks with his son, the way that he's patient with everyone he meets, the way that he has a quick wit, the blah, 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 and you would just go facet or attribute after attribute after attribute after attribute after attribute. I love this person not because I read their bio or a four-second summary of who they were. I am getting to know them by understanding their attributes and the way we would say it on a human level, their characteristics, their traits. And that's how I'm coming to know this person. You spent 20 minutes with them and you think they're amazing, but you should spend 20 years with them and then you would really have a long list to say. But ask the average Christian, and I'm not saying this about us today, but maybe, you know, maybe it applies across the board. Ask the average Christian, what do you love most about God? And uh, all of a sudden, it's uh, you're not going to get back how long do you have. You're going to say, well, I love his grace. It's one of those attributes. I got that one down, grace. Number two, can I do grace twice? I like grace a lot. I love God's grace and his mercy and his love. Did I mention grace already? I love that. I love that he helped us out that one time we were in a bind. Thank you for that. I... I, uh, he um, helped me. Is that an attribute? Instead of, oh, you're talking about my Valentine now. You're talking about one, my one true love now. You're talking about my London. You're talking about my New York City. You're talking about my specialty. If you got an hour, I'd love to tell you what I love and what I've come to know about my God. It happens when we come to know his attributes. It's not the same as breaking the Atlanta United thing down because God is spirit and he is infinite. So it's not like I understand a lawnmower because when I was a kid, I took our lawnmower apart, saw all the little pieces. It's not the same as that. But the United picture gives us a map that we can come to know God more than just in the general sense, and that he wants to be known by us, and you can come as far up the mountain as you have a desire to come. So let's try a little bit together today, just see what we're talking about. We're gonna take on two attributes of God in the next few minutes, and they are that God is holy and that he is a God of glory. His holiness is an attribute, and his glory 
is an attribute. They live in proximity to one another a lot in Scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take both of them together today. Our God is a holy God. So I want to ask the question, what does that mean that God is holy? And why does it matter to you? And why would you want to know more about the holiness of our God? And what does God's glory mean? We know that we see it on display in the universe, but what does it mean and what difference does it make to you and me to know more about the glory of God? So let's uh, look at Isaiah chapter 6. In the first few verses, we see both of these attributes in a very powerful way. Isaiah has a revelation. He has a vision, and this is how he describes it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. There is a, a sermon in that simple phrase. I saw the Lord, not because of my human understanding and not because of my human sight, but God gave Isaiah revelation sight and revelation understanding. He said he was seated on a throne. That's going to give you a little something to meditate on. He was high and exalted. That's going to give you another little something to meditate on. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, we're just going to go a few verses in. There are attributes of God all the way through this passage, obviously. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. We'll see why in just a moment. With two, they covered their feet. We'll understand that fully in just a moment. And with two, they were flying. So we've got these eye-covered, feet-covered seraphs flying around this God who is seated on a throne, high and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. And they were calling out these flying creatures to one another. Here's our attribute. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full, here's our other attribute, of his glory. These Angels give us a glimpse into the very presence of God. We see similar glimpses in the book of Revelation that whenever we get a little peek into eternity, a little peek into heaven, we see angels, created beings by God, echoing the praise of God and the worship of God, not redeemed creatures like you and me, not people who fully understand the cross like people like you and me, not people who were rebels and then made sons and daughters like you and me. No, created angelic beings are blown away by God. So much so that they don't even look. And in honor, they cover their feet. And they cry out constantly in the presence of God, holy, holy Holy. So we know if we want to start looking at the attributes of God, we're going to want to begin maybe with holy. They're not crying out, strong, 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 love, 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 faithful, faithful, faithful. They're, they're not tripping up on uh, all the words that a lot of us get lost in when we're like, how do I come to know God? I've heard that he's self-existent and that he's omniscient and that he's transcendent and that he's immutable. They're not crying, immutable, 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 transcendent, transcendent. Although he is immutable and he is transcendent, he is love and he is mighty. They are saying, holy, holy, holy. 
is the Lord, there's another attribute. Almighty, there's another attribute. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's another attribute of God. But they direct us to the holiness of God. So what is the holiness of God? What is holy? I think for most of us, if we we had a pen and paper and quickly we were gonna write out what is holy, we would write out pure or perfect or sinless. But those words don't really hit at the heart of holy. Holy comes from a Hebrew word called kadash. And the word kadash in Hebrew gives us the meaning of holy, and it's two words, sacred and set apart. So they're crying out to this almighty God on this throne, seated high, you are sacred and set apart. You are sacred and set apart. You are sacred and set apart. And here's where we need help from the Spirit of God, because we can't really wrap our minds around what it means that God is sacred and that he is set apart. You'd be like, set apart from what? Uh, something good I can think of, and he's, a little, he's better than that? No, that's not going to do it for God. What holy implies is God is in his own league. He's in his own lane. He's on his own playing field. As it relates to every single thing about him, he is other and set apart. There's not, there's not a second or a third or a fourth. So, so, so that whole notion of I just want to put the Lord first in my heart, I ain't no second with God. He didn't beat out JoJo at the tape by Aline. Y'all see how good I did right there? She was going to marry a loser, and look, I won. Right at the last second, I beat out JoJo. No. JoJo isn't even in the conversation. No one is in the conversation. Nothing is in the conversation. It is holy, sacred and set apart. Sacred and set apart. Sacred and set apart is our God. In the first song of praise after the deliverance of God's people from Egypt, in that song of praise, Exodus 15, 11, we find this amazing lyric. <laughs> Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? And so what is glory? We, we think about glory as fame or a little twinkling light or somehow somebody made it to the cover of a magazine. It's glory. But that's really not at the heart of glory when it comes to God. The Hebrew word for glory that we're getting here is the word kabod. So we have a new meaning and a new understanding. Kabod means weight and worth. And so what we're seeing is a picture, again, comparison doesn't help, but what we're seeing is a picture that what we think is glory is a little flimsy, like tinfoil-like praise. But when God talks about his glory, he's talking about weight and worth. I don't know if you lived through the 70s, but if you did, you'll understand. We used to say, man, that was heavy. Whoa, that's heavy, man. And that's God. God isn't fleeting. He's not a headline. He wasn't a news blip on ET last night. 
He has a worth and a weight that is immeasurable and cannot in any way be calculated. It is heavy, the worth and weight of our God. And that is glory. Your worth, your net worth, nothing. Zero, less than zero. The collective net worth of this gathering today and our many, many millions, maybe billions, zero. The collective worth of the nations, economically, zero. Flimsy, tinfoil, temporary, fleeting, passing away, ultimately, eternally, of no value or significance apart from God. His weight and his worth, eternally heavy. And in his presence, creatures who didn't fall say sacred and set apart. Sacred and set apart. Sacred and set apart. In the Hebrew, double repetition means extreme emphasis. But in Scripture, on only a few Rare occasions is their triple emphasis given. It's a superlative times a superlative. It's God, you're in your own lane. There's no one to even compare to you. There's no one even in the conversation with you. You're set apart unto yourself eternally. God, your weight and your worth cannot be fully known or put on a scale or comprehended times all that again and times all that again. You are holy and filled with glory. And when we come to see these attributes of God, everything for us can change. The two most important things about you, God wants to be known by you, And you can come as high up the mountain as you want to come. You can be, uh, generally speaking, I know God. In fact, I'm of the persuasion that I believe Jesus is God, and I know Jesus, and I'm a Christian. Or you can really know him. It's, It's hard to compare, but it's the difference between holding the hope diamond in your hand versus an ordinary rock from your yard. Or, or staying in the Ritz-Carlton or the, the Red Roof Inn. It's no knock on the Red Roof Inn, people. We love you. And here's the interesting part. The choice is yours. You can come as high up on the mountain because of Jesus as you want to. See, it wasn't always true that there was no um, authorized personnel only beyond this point. In the Old Testament, 
There was absolutely authorized personnel only beyond this point. Exodus 19, one of the occasions where God came down in a cloud and met with Moses on Mount Sinai in the wilderness. And as he was setting up how this meeting was going to go, God said to Moses, oh, and put a barrier around the base of the mountain, lest anybody, when they see the cloud and hear the speaking voice of God meeting with Moses, thinks, I'm going up on that mountain. He said, oh, no, warn the people, don't go near the mountain, because whoever sets foot on even the base of this mountain will die. That gets transferred all the way into the temple where the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant would reside, was reserved only for the high priest one day a year. And if anyone else set foot in that place, they would be evaporated in a moment like a fly on one of those buzz lamps in the summertime. In fact, they'd put a rope around the high priest's waist in case he died in the presence of God. They could pull his body out without having to go behind the veil. So there is a sense, and there was a sense, where God was saying, my otherness and my glory are such that you can't see me or you will die. You can't come near me as a sinful man or woman or you will be disintegrated by my otherness and my glory. Even when Moses came up, God said, there's a rock up there. You're going to go near it. I'm going to shove you in a crack and put my hand over the crack. And then when I get ready where my back is passing by, I'll let you have a peek at my back. And just a peek at the back of God out of a crack of a rock, his face glowed when he came down the mountain. And so we fast forward to the Corinthian account where Paul says, and if that was the ministry of death, the law, the Ten Commandments, and that was glorious, how much more is the ministry of life through Jesus Christ glorious? And then Paul writes these words. He says, Moses would cover his face with a veil because he didn't know when the glory would fade away. But we now, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of God through the Spirit, for where the Spirit is, there is freedom. Freedom to what? Freedom to come up on the mountain of God. Jesus Christ, who was other, came from other, laid down glory, took on flesh, and was born in Bethlehem. So staggering that the heavenly chorus announced it by saying, Glory to God in the highest, the greatest weight and the greatest worth in eternity is now in a manger. But here's the kicker, peace on earth among men, because if there's not the grace of God through the life, death, burial, and resurrection, everybody gets evaporated by the other and the glory of God. But Jesus paid away made a way, opened a way that whoever is covered by his blood can come right into the very presence of holy, holy, holy God. It's a tragedy that the hymnal's gone from our lives because at least the compilers of the hymnal had the good sense to understand that hymn number one is holy, holy, holy. And everything else 
emanates from there. All the songs about God's faithfulness, all the hymns about God's presence, all the hymns about Calvary, all the hymns about resurrection life and Easter story, all the hymns of the comfort of God, they all emanate from holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. This is the beginning. And I fear that it has been completely lost on this generation. We are standing with what amounts to a teacup full of theological understanding, sipping away while we're standing on the Grand Canyon of the infinite goodness and beauty of God. And he's saying, you were made for more. Augustine said, the soul will not find rest until it finds its rest in thee. You want to know how to cure your anxiety? Come up on the mountain of a holy God and sense some of the weight and the worth of majesty. Trade in a little flimsy hope in something in this world for an unshakable God who's unchanging in the heavens. And the last of the Reasons why we would want to lean in is because you and I are going to become what we worship. This is an idea that you've got to come to terms with in your life. We become what we worship. You're like, what do you mean by that? I'll give you an example. Say you're worshiping money right now. Some of you are actually saying those words out loud. Some of you are just living them out. But if you worship money, guess what? You're going to become a dollar. You're going to become a currency. You will turn into money if you worship money long enough. You're like, what do you mean by that? Let me give you a little picture of what your life will look like as a worshiper of money. You will be like a yo-yo on a string whose joy and confidence goes up and down based on the fluctuations of the economic climate of this world day by day, some of you hour by hour, some of you from market open to market close. I feel good about life, babe. I feel good about what we've got stored away. I feel good about that second house we just bought. I feel good about what we're invested in. Oh, I don't feel good. We're going to have to sell the house, babe. We're going to have to divest. We picked the wrong investments. We are in the tank right now. We're going to have to leverage a little bit to make it work, and hopefully the market will turn around. Oh, China's up. Oh, no, China's down. Oh, Greece is up. Oh, no, Greece is never going to be up. Greece is down. If you ever bought in the bottom of Greece thinking Greece was going to go back up, well, good news and good luck for you. That was a nice throwaway of your hard-earned money. No knock on Greece. I'm part Greek. But you're going to turn in to a currency. And written on your currency is going to be the same thing written on our currency and God we trust. And it's about accurate that what we meant when we put that on our currency is in the currency that we wrote in God we trust on, we trust. And if you worship it, you will become it. If you worship success, that's what you'll become. That will be the sum total of your life. And in the end of your life, everything you have amassed and accomplished and piled up, whether it is success or accomplishment or family or good works or good deeds or houses or 
lands, our cars, our investments, or experiences, or pleasures, all of it will be as nothing in front of the absolute, set-apart, sacred other of Almighty God and the weight and the worth of who He is. And so, hello, through Jesus, He says, here's the miracle. I'm going to make you holy. For I am holy. Not that definition we talked about, perfect and pure, although on the books in Christ, we are perfect and pure, sin forgiven. But what he's really saying when he says, I want you to be holy, he's saying, I want you to be set apart and I want you to be sacred. In Christ, I'm gonna make you sacred and set apart. You're not gonna act like everybody at your business. You're not gonna live like everybody in your condominium. You're not gonna watch everything that everybody else thinks is amazing. And no, you're not gonna be holier than thou. You're gonna become holy because thou art holy. And I'm becoming what I worship and I'm starting to lock on to the attributes of my God. And I'm starting to look into holiness to gaze on holiness, to meditate on holiness, to study holiness, to think about holiness, to journal about holiness, to respond in worship to God's holiness, to begin to reflect and ingest holiness in my life, sacred and set apart. And so that means for me, there's a new guide for me. And like, oh, look at you, you're better than everybody else. No, I'm just like everybody else. I'm just saying yes to the invitation to come up on the mountain of God. God. And you'll be around other Christians and they'll be like, well, I think we can watch it. I think it's fine. I think, no, 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 And you can go, that's great. I'm just stuck on holiness right now. And that means I need to opt out of some things that I don't want to form me. I want to be conformed. I want to be set apart. He says to you, be holy in all you do, for I am holy. And he made it possible in Christ for you to live your life for what is heavy. To spend it all on what has ultimate weight and ultimate worth. Choice is up to you. The invitation, it's on the table. If you are encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be uplifting to others, then be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. 
or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.